And you know, Wesley was up here earlier and shared his testimony and then sang for us. And, and uh, right after Wesley first came, I, I went up and I, I, I patted him on his back and I said, Wesley, this is, this is your pastor. And he said, well, which one? I said, fair question. I said, this is the fluffy pastor. He says, good, because I'm your fluffy sheep. So what you've learned so far today is, is that I'm the bald, fluffy guy here at Ivy Creek. And I'm really excited that you are here and that you've come to join us for worship this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, would you please take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark that we have been on now for quite a few weeks and we're going to continue looking at it this morning. As a matter of fact, we're going to continue the second half of a sermon that I began last week. Began in Mark chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 and we began last week by learning of a man named Levi who was a tax collector. And the fact that Levi was a tax collector is important because Jesus calls him to become one of his disciples. But he very likely was one of the least likely disciples that Jesus would have had simply because he was a tax collector. You see, tax collectors were, were not considered very favorable in the Hebrew society. They were looked down upon. They were considered the lowest of the lowest. Levi would have been looked upon as a traitor because he was working for the Roman government. He would have been looked upon as a cheat and a thief and a, and, and, and a crook because he made his living by charging more than was necessary and that's how he earned all of the money that he had. So consequently, he was hated by his own countrymen. He was ostracized by them and despised by them. And as I mentioned last week, Levi and others like him, they were considered as low as, as pond scum. Now, Pond scum, as you might imagine, is one of the worst things that you can call somebody. Scum or pond scum is just one of those kind of terms that you just don't use of people that you have any regard for. After all, the description that I read this week of pond scum is, is this. It says it's that smelly, messy, gross, green slime that's found growing on our ponds, lakes, and waterways. Well, that's just not something that you want to call somebody that you care for very much at all, is it? But you know, as I was standing out at the, at the front last week and people were walking by and, and greeting me on the way out, one of the, one of the members of our congregation came out and said to me, he said, you know, my wife actually, I mean, excuse me, my daughter-in-law actually works for a company that cultivates and harvests pond scum. And I thought, well, now that's interesting. I had no idea. And so I started talking to him about it. Matter of fact, I called him this week and I said, tell me more. I'm interested in this subject. And, and I won't bore you with all the details, but there are companies out there, there are individuals who really look at harvesting this algae that grows on top of stagnant waters and that has uses in all manner of ways. Believe it or not, that messy, gross, green, slimy stuff is being used as an additive in diesel fuel. It's being used as, in pharmaceuticals. It's being used as a high-protein food additive. It's being used in construction. It's also being used in wastewater cleanup. In other words, there are many in the world today who look past that horribly foul, gross nature of pond scum and they see what it can become. Well, as we noted last week, when Jesus went by there and went by the tax booth in which he saw Levi sitting, he also looked past Levi as simply being a tax collector. He looked past a man who was viewed upon by all the rest of the world as the scum of the earth and he sees a person. He sees a man whom 
he calls to be one of his disciples. And, and what we learned last week from that passage there in verse 14 was that the call of Jesus to follow him extends all the way to the most despised and the most willful outcasts and sinners of the world today. That's who Jesus calls. Jesus extends his call even to scum like Levi. But we also noted that Levi answered Jesus' call. He responded in repentance and faith by walking away from his tax-collecting booth and from his profession there, and he began to follow Jesus. And in his obedient response, we learned that answering the call to follow Jesus requires abandoning the old way of living and pursuing Christ. That's what it means to repent and then to believe. It means to, to, to distance yourself from the way things used to be and now to follow Jesus. And then very briefly last week, we peeked ahead at the passage that I want us to look at further today, beginning in verse 15. And what we saw was that, that as a result of, of his newfound faith, Levi then went on to host and to bankroll a banquet in which he hosted that Jesus would be the, the honored guest. And the, the, the people that Levi invited to his party were his, his friends and associates and was just a bunch of other tax collectors. And other people that were socially outcast, like he was, invited them to become a part of that party. And what we noted was that Levi's life had been so radically impacted by Jesus that what resulted was he wanted to introduce all of his friends to Jesus. And what that taught us was that obediently following Jesus will result in a radical change that will impact the lives of others for Christ. Now those were the points of last week's sermon. And so I think just for continuity's sake, let me give you the sermon in a sentence from last week as a summary because there it was this, no matter what lies in your past, if you will obediently follow him through repentance and faith, Jesus will change your future and he will use you to impact the lives of others to the glory of God. Now if you missed that sermon, if there's anything interesting to you about that, I want you to know they've told me that that's uploaded to our website. And you're welcome to go there. You can watch it. You can download it. You can listen to it there. But what I want us to do this morning is to begin looking at verse 15 and following. I want us to drill down deeper into this party and the, it's the, subse the subsequent issues that surrounded this banquet that Levi threw in Jesus' honor. And what we're going to find is that Jesus was ready and he was willing to befriend and to associate with Levi's, uh, all of his friends, the tax collectors and sinners that he invited. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day, well, they still viewed that group as nothing more than pond scum with whom they could find no beneficial use whatsoever. What results is another confrontation that takes place between the religious elite and Jesus. And what we learn is that Jesus' priority and his agenda is once again confronted, not this time by the large crowds that had been confronting him before, but this time by a smaller group, a subset of the scribes and the Pharisees who saw themselves as being infinitely superior to Levi and his tax-collecting buddies. So that sets up the text for us today. Let's read it for ourselves. As we learn together, matter of fact, let's just go back up and pick verse 14 up again. We'll read down through verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office or the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened. As he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. 
for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truthfulness of it. Thank you for blessing our hearts this morning, for drawing us into a relationship with you and allowing us the opportunity to assemble with other brothers and sisters and lift our voices of praise to hear testimony of your great faithfulness to us even amidst what could be considered nothing less than some of the darkest hours that we could ever experience. And yet, and yet you are still God and you are still a Lord that loves us with an infinite love. Father, thank you for allowing us to be able to experience that and experience that, that bond that we have with other brothers and sisters in Christ as a result of your gospel. Now, I pray that you would unite us around your word this morning, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us, give us ears to hear that which you would have us to hear this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Just as I stated earlier, many believe that Levi was perhaps the least likely Disciple, And the reason for that was is probably very much because Levi was probably rough around the edges. Matter of fact, if you drilled a little deeper, you'd probably find he was rougher than just the edges. He was probably rough down deep. For him to pursue the career that he pursued, to, to, to be involved with the profession that he was involved in, and willfully so, tells us a little bit about what kind of man he was and how motivated he was in certain areas. But his faith in Jesus and his repentance from his former way of living had changed him. Based upon what we read here, he was no longer someone who focused solely on himself and on his own interests. And that becomes evident because it tells us that at some point after verse 14, after Jesus called him and he left everything to follow Jesus, verse 15, at some time after that, and we don't know how long it was, Levi said, I'm going to have a party at my house and I'm going to invite all of my friends to come and meet Jesus. He is going to be the honored guest. He decided to host it and to pay for it. Now, and I don't believe this was any kind of one of those little, one of those little events where you come and they've just got, you know, Ritz crackers and a little water, you know, and hey, come back for all the extra water you want. No, it wasn't a party like that. This was, as Luke describes it in his gospel, a grand or a great feast. It was a big party. As a matter of fact, you read back there, Mark says that there were many tax collectors and sinners who gathered there in his house. So evidently, evidently Levi had a large enough place to host a large party and he still used the money that he had to, to, to throw this great big shindig in which Jesus was the honored guest and he invited all of his friends. And I find that to be interesting because you remember what just happened. Levi had walked away from his profession as a tax collector. He had walked away from his ability to earn income. And he also, because he was such a hated person in Hebrew society, now did not have the ability to go and find work in some other way. 
So I find it interesting that he would be willing to sacrifice this great amount in order to, to host this party. But there's something else even more significant to consider, and that's the reason why Levi threw the party. I like what William Lane has written. In his commentary, he says that Levi threw the party as a spontaneous expression of his joy. His joy at what Jesus had done for him. In other words, what we might even describe is this grand event was a spiritual birthday party. Thrown and hosted by Levi in which Jesus is the honored guest. And what would it be if you had a birthday party and you didn't have guests? And so Levi invited as many guests as he could. Now remember, Levi was pond scum in Hebrew society. So who else was he going to invite to be a part of this party with him except other pond scum like him? That was the only folks that would have anything to do with him. And so the only people that he could have invited to this party were other tax collectors and sinners, socially outcast folks who fit the same bill as he did. That's who he invited to this party. And there must have been quite a few because Mark tells us there were many who were there. And so what that also tells us is that Levi had an intention in inviting them. His intention was is that he wanted to introduce them to the same man who had called him and changed his life. And no doubt they were inquisitive. What would make such a person leave this lucrative job that he had, this, this ability that he had to be able to earn lots of money, what would cause somebody like that to walk away from that and change their lives all the way around? And, and Levi says, I want to introduce them to Jesus, the man who changed my life. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when, when, when folks want to, to join the church, we always encourage them to have an opportunity to sit down with me or Pastor Ted or Dave, just Pastor Will, to have an opportunity to talk to us. We love to hear their testimonies. One of the great privileges I have as a pastor to be able to hear the testimony of God's saints. And I sat down with a couple a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking. I said, tell me how you came to faith. And he says, well, he said, up until my, in my early 30s, he said, the way that I really thought God was going to, to let me into heaven was because I hadn't murdered anybody. I hadn't stolen from anyone. I'd lived a pretty good life. He said, as a matter of fact, I hadn't done a lot of the things that a lot of folks I read about do. He said, and I honestly believed that God would allow me into heaven based upon the fact that I hadn't done any of that stuff and that he grades on a curve. That was his words. He said, but then, he said, some friends invited me to a birthday party. He said, I like birthday cake, so I went. He said, when I got there, though, I realized that it was not your typical birthday birthday party. In fact, it was a spiritual birthday party that was being thrown. And in it, he was introduced by his friends at that party to the fact that Jesus Christ is the only hope for sinners. He was told the truth that all of us are sinners and all of us are in need of God's grace and mercy and that there's none of us that escape that sentence. And so, but God in his great mercy and love toward us sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. And he said that was the first time that I had been confronted with that truth. He said, when I sat there, he said, I didn't know what to say. He said, I honestly thought everybody in this room was conspiring against me. He said, but this many years later, when I look back upon it, he said, I actually realized they were conspiring for me. Because you see, as a result of being confronted with the truth that day, he placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He let go of the fact that he was hoping to earn his way into God's heaven. And as a result, he, let, he went there that day, a hopeless and helpless sinner, but he encountered the living, breathing, risen Christ, and he left that day one who had a hope for heaven. And he's been serving the Lord ever since. Matter of fact, he and his wife joined our church family in the early service this morning. Now, I can't help but believe that that's exactly what Levi wanted to see accomplished. When he invited all of his friends, he wanted them to encounter Jesus, the same man who had changed his life. He wanted them to have the opportunity to see firsthand what this man was like and as a result of it, that their lives might too be changed. Brothers and sisters, we ought to consider that. That's a lesson for us. You see, we ought to consider that too often we cloister ourselves together in isolated groups that are comprised of only other believers. Too often our lives and our schedules, they are arranged so that we encounter those who are not like us and don't believe like us just as little as possible. But I want you to know, just like Levi did, those of us whose lives have been impacted and radically changed by Jesus need to recognize that the most loving thing that we can do is not avoid unbelievers, not keep them at arm's length, not look down upon them and our, with our pious noses. Rather, we need to find ways that we can extend ourselves to them and as a result, extend the truth of the gospel to them as well. That's what Levi did. He invited his friends to a party in which Jesus was the honored guest and then we read that Jesus and his disciples literally reclined at the table. They, let, they sat there, they ate together, they engaged with this group, they talked with them, they shared a meal together and it's here that we learn the first point that I've listed for you on your outline this morning and the first point is this. Jesus is a friend to sinners. Some of the greatest news I could ever announce to you this morning. Jesus is a friend to sinners. Now, those outside the house looked at those on the inside of the house and thought they were just pond scum. That's how they looked at them. But Jesus saw them as folks who needed the healing touch of forgiveness. To him, they were folks who needed to have a new purpose in life. To them, they were folks who needed to hear the message that he had been preaching, a message of repentance and faith in, in the face of God's imminent kingdom. And in this, we are given the opportunity to understand just what type of Savior Jesus is. You see, the gospel message that Jesus came to preach does not say, look, you need to go get yourself all cleaned up and get yourself all straightened up and get all, get all shined up. And once you do all of that, then Jesus will be your friend. That's not the message of the gospel. Rather, the message of the gospel is that Jesus meets us right where we are. The gospel begins by, yes, telling us that we are sinners in hopeless need of being saved. But it tells us that Jesus meets us right there at our very point of need. He meets Levi and tax collectors like him. He meets social outcasts. He meets folks like you and I who are morally corrupt. And because of that, he gives us his grace. I'm reminded of the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Interestingly enough, old wee little Zacchaeus, he was also a tax collector. Matter of fact, he was even worse than Levi in some ways because he was a chief tax collector. In other words, Zacchaeus probably had a lot of Levi's working for him. So he very likely was even more hated than Levi was. But 
Zacchaeus heard Jesus was coming through his town. He, wanted, he had some interest in getting a chance to see him firsthand. But he was short. He couldn't get up in the tree. He couldn't get to where he could see. So he climbed a tree, a sycamore tree, so he could see over the crowds and, and, and see Jesus when he went by. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes by and he stops at the very tree that Zacchaeus is in. He looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. <laughs> now just imagine if that were you. Make haste. In other words, Zacchaeus didn't have time to go home and clean the house up. He didn't have, to, he didn't have time to go up and put away all the stuff that he didn't want Jesus to see when Jesus came. He didn't have time to get himself all polished. He said, make haste and come down now because I must go stay at your house. You know what that tells us? Jesus meets us right where we are and he befriends us. He becomes a friend to sinners right where they are. Now, understand this. That's confirming just what we've already seen in this passage. And that is Jesus is a friend to sinners. Why is he a friend to sinners? Well, Jesus goes on to say that there were those who in Zacchaeus' day chastised him for going to Zacchaeus' house. And, and Jesus said to them, he says, Look, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, Jesus tells us that salvation is for sinners. It's for outsiders. It's for outcasts. It's for swindlers. It's for cheats. It's for folks who have just generally made a mess out of their lives. And there is not a one of us in this room that does not fit that category. And if Jesus was willing to save a man as vile and as wretched and as outcast as Zacchaeus and as Levi, then friend, he is more than willing and he is more than able to save any lost sinner no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, if they will repent of their sins and humble themselves before Him. What that tells us is Jesus is a friend of sinners. But notice this, being a friend of sinners got Jesus in a lot of trouble. The religious elite chastised Him when He went to Zacchaeus' house. They chastised Him when He goes into Levi's house here. Verse 16, when the scribes and Pharisees saw Him meeting with the tax collectors and sinners, they start going, what can He be doing in there? He is with the wrong crowd. Why is he in there? I like what one author wrote. He said, what would a party be without the Pharisees? Without the party poopers of the New Testament Gospels. You see, they didn't like what Jesus was doing. From their perspective, to share a physical meal with such outcasts, well, it implied an expression of spiritual fellowship. In short, from their understanding, to, to share the table with someone meant sharing life with them as well. To eat with those who were unfit and unclean was to share in their sins. And the Pharisees, their very name meant that they were the separated ones. They were not going to come in contact with such unfit and such ineligible people. From their perspective... Since Jesus was hanging around and cavorting with, with pond scum like what he was with in, in Levi's house, then he certainly couldn't be of God. He certainly could not be the Messiah. But here's what they didn't understand about Jesus. You see, far from becoming contaminated by the sins of sinners, 
Jesus was all about the restoration and the redemption that takes place in the lives of sinners and outcasts when they come in contact with him. Just as he said to those who criticized him for going into Zacchaeus' house, he said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. He gives us his mission statement here in verse 17 for why he came. You see, Jesus heard the grumbling of all those Pharisees and as a result, he said this, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in these words, what we find is another truth that's revealed to us about Jesus from this passage this morning. The second point on your outline today is this. Jesus is a physician to the sick. He's not only a friend to sinners, he's a physician to the sick. He makes it clear what he came to do. I like what Philip Graham Ryken has written. He says, Jesus explains the purpose for which he left the splendors of heaven and came down to earth. He did not come to save the righteous. He did not come to spend time with people who had it all together. He didn't come to just kind of hang out into, in a religious convent with other religious people. No, rather he came to bring healing to those who really needed him, to the messed up, to the broken, to the sin-sick sinner. I've entitled today's sermon, Who Needs a Doctor? And the reason I chose that title is because the answer to that question is really quite simple from my way of looking at it. In the simplest way to put it, the simplest and clearest reason for a person to go to a doctor is because they're sick. Without question, it is a sick person who needs a doctor. It's a sick person who needs a cure for whatever ailment and disease is afflicting him or her. But listen, if a person's not sick, if there's, if there's nothing wrong with them, well, such a person really doesn't need a doctor. Set aside the argument for preventative medicine and, and getting yearly checkups for a second. Just, just stick that out of your mind. But think about this with me. When I wake up in the morning, if I'm feeling pretty good and I feel like I can go to work, it's not my habit to pick up the phone and call my doctor and say, do you have an appointment available this afternoon that I can come in and you can consult with me about my health? It's just not what I do. In general, that's not why we make visits to the doctor. Jesus is saying this in verse 17. The logic of his argument is simple enough for us to follow, and that's this. Doctors exist to help sick people. Doctors are typically surrounded by sick people. And so the point Jesus makes is that that's why he came as a physician. He came to heal sick people. Now, the people in and around Galilee knew that he was a healer, Physically, that's why the crowds constantly pressed in on him because he had healed so many of their physical sicknesses. But as we've already noted in our study, Jesus came not with his first priority being to heal people's physical sicknesses, but to heal the spiritual sickness that they had, the sickness of sin that leads unto death. Jesus came first and foremost to bring a cure for our spiritual sickness. And if we understand that priority, then we'll understand why he was hanging out with Levi and all Levi's friends. You see, they weren't the wrong crowd after all. Actually, they were the right crowd if you're a doctor. If you're a physician who can bring healing, the place to be is among the sick people who need it. And that's exactly why Jesus was where he was and why he was spending the time that he was with them. Sadly, however, not everyone who is sick, not everyone who needs a physician realizes it. That was certainly the case with the scribes and the Pharisees. As it pertained to their own righteousness, they were confident that they were light years ahead of the pond scum inside Levi's house. 
I mean, they kept the laws. They fasted twice a week. They did all of these things. They tithed to the nth degree on everything. They were, they were very thrilled with their righteousness. And so from their perspective, they didn't need Jesus. They didn't need the righteousness that he came to offer. And so Jesus basically says, look, those who are well, those who are healthy, well, they have no need of a doctor and consequently they have no need of me. In other words, those who insist that they are righteous in and of themselves will never see their need for the cure that is provided in the gospel. And so here's the irony. Verse 15 implies that the pond scum, Pharisees, or excuse me, the tax collectors and sinners, many of them recognize their need of Jesus because he tells us that they followed him. But the very ones who were on the other side, the Pharisees and, and the scribes, they didn't recognize their need of Jesus. Consequently, they went on without ever experiencing healing. Friends, we must understand this important fact. Jesus offers the remedy for our spiritual sickness, but in order to receive it, we must accept his diagnosis and admit to our need of his cure. If we do not, then we make ourselves into the third point that I want you to see this morning. You see, Jesus is a foe to the self-righteous. He is a foe to the self-righteous. Notice that Jesus ends his response to the scribes by saying, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's important to note is that Jesus again reiterates the point that his ministry was not to those who did not need him. Rather, he came to those who did need him. He didn't come to call on those who were already righteous. But in this point is where we really find the, the, the crux of the matter. You see, the Bible tells us that there is none that is righteous. No, not one. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that all of us like sheep have gone, away, gone astray. Each of us has taken our own paths and gone our own way and, and brought the, 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 the difficulties of, on our own lives because of our own decisions. The Apostle Paul reminds us that all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, in the truest sense, none of us can say that we are truly righteous in and of ourselves. There is only one who has ever walked the face of the earth who could say that he was truly righteous in and of himself, and that is the Lord Jesus. And so what that means is that without exception, every one of us needs a Savior. So when Jesus calls sinners to repentance, he is calling each and every one of us to turn from our sins and to trust in Him and not in ourselves. And if we will, Jesus will be our friend. He will be a friend to us as sinners. He will be the great physician who will provide us with the cure that we so desperately need. But if we refuse, then we will make Him to be our foe. You see, the Bible says that it is the proud and the haughty who refuse to admit their need of a Savior. It is the high and mighty who trust in their own righteousness. But the Bible is clear that God opposes the proud. It's clear in its message that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And friend, honestly, I cannot imagine anything that is more frightening than that. Then to one day stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To stand before the one who went to Calvary's cross and gave his life as a ransom for sinners. To stand before him having rejected his offer of friendship. To stand before him who was the great physician who came to provide the cure for our sin by dying in our place. And to reject 
the healing that He provides, to stand before Him having trusted in ourselves and in our own self-righteousness and to know that we will have made ourselves a foe of the Lord Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches that when that happens, that person will be cast into hell where they will suffer God's divine wrath for eternity. And friend, what that means for you and I is that the stakes could not be any higher. So this morning, having recognized that this passage teaches us that Jesus has come to be a friend to sinners, that he has come to be a physician to the sick, but also having recognized his solemn warning that he will be a foe to the self-righteous, then we come to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. Salvation is available to all who will recognize their need of spiritual healing. But those who refuse to acknowledge their spiritual sickness will find no help from the great physician. So let me ask you this morning, who needs a doctor? Who of us needs a doctor? Do you realize that even on your best day, when you will have served till you couldn't serve anymore, when you have sacrificed until there's no more sacrifice, when you will have given and you will have kept yourself as morally clean and upright as you possibly could, even on that day, the very best day that you had to offer your righteousness to God, the Bible says that your righteousness in comparison to Jesus will be as filthy rags. Brothers and sisters, our righteousness does not come by comparing ourselves horizontally to others. Our righteousness only comes when the Lord Jesus, who was perfect in His righteousness, gives it to us and we stand before God robed in His righteousness, not in our own. Who needs a doctor? Every single one of us needs a doctor because all of us are sin sick. And it is a sickness that will lead us to eternal wrath and damnation. But God, in his great mercy and love, has sent Jesus to be the great physician. And if you are here and you have been saved, understand this, you cannot look upon fellow sinners. Though their sins may be many, and though they may living, be living unrepentant lives, you must not look upon them with disdain and with contempt as if they are pond scum. Rather, you should recognize this very important point, that but for the grace of God, there go I. You see, on your own, your standing before God would be no different than theirs. But in light of having received God's grace and mercy, you should seek to engage them and tell them of the salvation that is available to them through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the responsibility that each of us have in light of the gospel. We must repent of our sins, believe in Jesus, and then we must tell others of his grace and mercy because, brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together.